Welcome once again to DDA's podcast, Encouraging Abilities. I'm your host, DDA Communications Manager, uh, Evan Kelly. Now, I just want a little caveat at the top of this, um, because we are talking about caregiving. Now, just to understand that Developmental Disabilities Association, DDA, is a community living agency that provides over 50 community-based programs and services to children and adults with developmental disabilities and their families here in Vancouver and Richmond, British Columbia. So today we are talking about a topic that uh, is kind of front and center a lot in the media these days, and we're wondering about it, how it might affect our lives. That is artificial intelligence. Uh, with the advent of uh, online AI, such as ChatGPT and other applications for uh, video and music, you name it, AI seems to be paving the way forward in many respects. But what are the limitations? Is it good for us? Is it, is it bad? So today I'm joined by uh, Mercer Gary. She is a postdoctoral fellow at the Hastings Center, assistant professor of philosophy at Drexel University in Pennsylvania. She has a, a PhD in philosophy and women's gender and sexuality studies from the Pennsylvania State University. She looks at conceptual questions and feminist ethics uh, around normative significance of relationships in order to strengthen applied interventions in bioethics and ethics of technology. So that's a lot <laughs> to take in to see what that all, I'm not even sure what I read, but definitely some high level thinking there. Thinking there. So thank you for joining me today, Mercer. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, I wanted to talk to you because DDA, as I said, is a community living agency. We employ many people in the caregiving field, like in the hundreds, to be, to be clear. Uh, and it's a field that is often tough to keep staffed, whether it's uh, lower wages, uh, the battle for the uh, high cost of living here in 2023. 2023, particularly here in the lower mainland of British Columbia, where, where housing costs are crazy. Uh, we're also, with the caregiving field, schedules are all over the map. I mean, we have, you know, we have care that is 24-7. Uh, also, you know, with other options, you know, maybe the caregiving field is simply not as attractive as, as a job. So right now, we're running the risk of not having enough people to look after the most vulnerable. So that's where artificial intelligence may come into play. Can AI at some point be used to help care for seniors or those with disabilities? Now, many companies are developing technology to assist with caregiving, and even DDA is working with a local team called Three Spheres of Reciprocity to develop a robot to assist our caregivers. They've actually developed two different kinds of robots at the moment. We're a long way, I think, from implementing things, but at least it's being looked at. So Mercer, uh, let's get right into it. What what got you interested in the line of study that you do? Sure. Um, so my expertise is in feminist care theory, which is kind of an umbrella term that spans uh, some different uh, approaches, but generally is interested in care as both a source of ethical value uh, and a kind of relationship and as a marginalized kind of labor. Uh, so uh, it's really important to me to take into consideration both the side of the person receiving care and the need for receiving care that is dignifying, that is respectful, and that is uh, meeting their needs, while also uh, taking very seriously the way that care work is devalued socially and economically in our society and uh, has been historically and currently uh, delegated to some of the most marginalized people, uh, predominantly women of color uh, mm -hmm. today. And 
so my first interest in AI and care came with the advent of social robots that you're already referring to, um, robots with some kind of capacity for learning, machine learning typically. And uh, this led me to two major questions that have driven my research. One's a more abstract one within feminist ethics, and the other is a more uh, a practical, concrete one um, in kind of feminist sociology, feminist economics of care. So uh, in feminist ethics, the, uh, the framework is, uh, the framework of care ethics is grounded in intersubjective relationships. Uh, and says that those relationships are themselves valuable in a way that's often overlooked and also uh, can give rise to uh, ethical dispositions and ways of thinking about ethics that uh, have not been emphasized in the history of moral philosophy. So if we're focusing on that central caregiving relationship, it's a pretty big question. What who can be party to that relationship? What does that relationship look like? And so when I first started hearing about these social social robots, uh, it proved to be a pretty interesting test case of kind of how far does this uh, notion of the caring relationship extend? And uh, could it include something like uh, social robots? Or do we want to uh, draw a line uh before we include technology in that relationship. So um, that question uh, uh, became especially interesting because people do seem to develop intense, atta intense attachments to many social robots, uh, and especially ones designed to function as companions. Um, but it, a lot of people have uh, some squeamishness, some hesitation about the kinds of connections people uh, feel, users feel. And uh, I think there are really uh, philosophically interesting questions about whether uh, that kind of connection between a human user and a robot is capable of generating the same kinds of ethical value that we typically think of uh, when we think of care. So when we think of AI looking after people, what is the actual poten potential in your mind? Yeah, so um, I think that what's most interesting are the ways that AI might be able to assist us in supporting and valorizing human caregiving work. So I think both because of technological limitations and because of uh, ethical and economic concerns about uh, putting AI in the position of being the sole caregiver, uh, we instead really want to be thinking about AI in the supporting role. And so what can artificial intelligence, whether that comes in the form of uh, an AI-driven social robot or whether it's uh, an algorithm in uh, an electronic chart or a monitoring system uh, in a person's home, uh, how can we use these uh, technologies? And there's such a range of them under this broad umbrella of AI. Uh, to support the real human caregivers, uh, many of whom are unpaid uh, and mm. drastically overburdened, and the people in need of care, many of whom don't have enough say in the direction of their care and enough uh, ability of self-determination within care processes, regardless of their ability. Uh, how can uh, 
AI contribute to making uh, the giving and receiving of care better for the people involved. Yeah, exactly. And now, as I mentioned, DDA is is working on on creating this uh, this robot called Aether. Um, and at the moment, the the design is really to uh, have this sort of robot roam around like a group home, for example, mm-hmm. looking for spills, mm-hmm. uh, looking for uh, you know yep. if someone who's fallen and needs help, you know maybe identifying an open door or something like that. Um, and, and even getting to, you know, hoping to get it to sort of recognize people's faces and be able to interact, mm-hmm. monitor, um, you know, medicine timing for medi- uh, medicine intake, that kind of thing. We're still a little bit um, uh, a little bit away from that, but I have seen it sort of in practice. What in your experience, what have you seen in terms of AI and practice in the care setting? What are some success stories or what are some failures or, or things you might be concerned about? So I've I've definitely seen uh, robots like the kind you're describing, and they're used in all sorts of settings. I mean, they're using customer service. Uh, They uh, kind of roam some grocery stores now in different parts uh, of the U.S. and uh, Europe especially. Um, And uh, there have have been um, some significant successes with with those kinds of uh, technologies. Uh, mm-hmm. I think another one that uh, has had some success is a, a, a larger robot designed to assist caregiving staff in uh, moving patients, uh, uh, helping someone uh, pick someone up uh, to both uh, protect the uh, bodies of the care workers from mm-hmm. injury and to make sure that people are, you know, being moved in the ways that they need to in order to not develop sores, et cetera. Yep. Uh, so that I think has, has been a significant success in some, some places. Um, when we think about, uh, AI, uh, generative AI like chat GPT in the caregiving sector, I think that there's real potential for using it to synthesize, uh, research, um, get kind of a leg up on, uh, what is a really vast body of, uh, uh, academic research that has the potential to contribute to, uh, you know, important policy and practice developments, um, but can, you know, take a single researcher much longer to do analog by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some different, uh, uh, different useful ways of employing AI, uh, in the care sector. Um, now there, do you feel this yes. is moving at a, at a a? Are we starting to embrace this too quickly? Um, I so I think that um, what is definitely already happening is uh, that um, these technologies are being uh, driven by uh, commercial uh, demands, mm-hmm. uh, market demands, and. Uh, so what's getting developed and what's getting rolled out uh, is heavily influenced by what's going to be most profitable. And uh, so I think what what we may be doing too quickly is kind of settling in uh, into certain grooves of technological development um, according to what's going to sell uh, and not uh, adequately exploring and developing 
other uh, avenues that might actually be benefiting uh, caregivers and care receivers more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, back to sort of you know talking about care. Care is a pretty can be a pretty broad term, I guess. To me, it means uh, comfort. Like it's one thing to have uh, something roam around monitoring falls and spills or, or medication distribution, but how how do you think AI could bridge that emotional gap? Yeah, so uh, I definitely agree that care is a broad term and people mean a lot of different things by it. Uh, and for uh, a lot of uh, scholars of care ethics, uh, the uh, emotional or relational component um, and often a kind of connection of empathy between mm-hmm. uh, parties in a caregiving relationship is really central. Uh, and so uh, within that framework, uh, the ability to give care requires moral agency. It requires uh, people to be, it, it requires someone who is giving care to be an ethical subject capable of making decisions, uh, acting on them, and responding with empathy. And so there are uh, questions, some of them are kind of tech, uh, you know, technical questions of what AI could do or how we could develop it, but mm-hmm. some are much more fundamental about, is it possible to generate the kind of uh, consciousness, self-awareness, and emotional connection uh, that is, is characteristic of caregiving uh, mm-hmm. in uh, a technological artifact? And uh, most people are going to say no to that. Um, it's possible. And, or, uh, <laughs> sorry? I mean, it, it might be possible. Who knows? I mean, the way this, the speed at which this is all sort of developing, in, in, to me, like having something that, that can recognize empathy might not be too far away, but it's hard to say at the moment. Yeah. I, so, I mean, um, it, it's, it's a really interesting, difficult question because it, uh, it brings us to what empathy is. Mm-hmm. Uh, if empathy is kind of, a shared a feeling based in a shared understanding, shared vulnerability, as a, a, a number of kind of philosophers will uh, define it. Um, the lack of vulnerability on the part of a robot means that it cannot have uh, uh, the capacity for empathy in the in the way that humans experience it. We can think mm-hmm. of. Uh, even, you know, uh, I'm sitting here with my dog right now, and I know that when I'm with my dog and she sees that I'm crying, she will, you know, reach out and lick my face. Or mm-hmm. there are, uh, you know, sign, we, we see at least what we take to be signs of empathy, um, perhaps not identical to human em- empathy, but like it in other mm-hmm. animals. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is... Uh, there's a, a, a shared condition of vulnerability there. Um, and that is not something that a robot and a human user would share. Yeah, no, that's so, very true. Um, some of the, you know, it, you know, often when we think of care, we think of people, I think, typically go to, to seniors and, and people who are, mm-hmm. you know, aging. Um, uh, but we deal with uh, people with cognitive impairments and developmental disabilities. Mm-hmm. What concerns would you have uh, with AI surrounding care of the, with these people, some who might be nonverbal, who just might not be able to communicate as well. How, so how do we, how do we, I'm going to have this question a lot, how do we bridge that gap with AI? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, uh, 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 disability studies is um, also part of my background and something I'm interested in and uh, committed to. And uh, I, I do uh, think that especially uh, the question of communication with someone who's nonverbal uh, and the kind of really nuanced uh, and, you know, multi-sensory uh, uh, communication that is necessary uh, to develop over you know a period of time between a human caregiver and a person receiving care who's nonverbal uh, that's a level of kind of a sophisticated response that uh, is going to, seems to me to be difficult to approximate and mm. um, so that that would certainly be a worry um, I think uh, this kind of broader question of what the integration of technology into caregiving does to the social value of care work um, is uh, is a big concern uh, for mm -hmm. uh, uh, thinking about care in um, disabled communities as well as in um, aging populations. So we we currently don't you know socially uh, uh, as a uh, you know North American society does not value caregiving. Uh, very much. We don't pay it well. We don't uh, give good working conditions for it. We don't treat it as a prestigious mm -hmm. or uh, meaningful job. Uh, and we uh, expect uh, it to be uh, something that, um, again, mostly uh, women do uh, on top of other work. And it's their um, participation in it, in it is assumed and, and often not even really consented to. Mm -hmm. So that's if we're integrating uh, uh, AI um, robots and other AI driven technologies into caregiving. Um, is that saying that uh, that the work is uh, so uh, uh, of such little value that we don't even need a human to uh, provide it? Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then uh, what uh, what levels of what kinds of quality control of the care are we willing to put up with, especially for people who are vulnerable? Uh, and uh, and so I think that maintaining um, maintaining high quality care requires valuing it uh, both economically and socially. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and uh, the one well, that's one of the problems. I mean. You, you've hit the nail on the head is that we don't value that work, which also, I mean, you could take it one step further. Maybe we don't value seniors or we don't value people with developmental disabilities. And it, to me, it's, it's about don't. shifting that whole thing. So, I mean, we can spend billions and billions and billions of dollars in developing AI, mm -hmm. but it might just be easier to pay people more, <laughs> you know, and create yeah. that, that, that social shift. Uh, t to get people to understand that, you know, seniors and people with developmental disabilities, which is going to be all of us at some yeah. point, we need to treat, treat them like the human beings they are. But that also sort of, you know, pushes my mind into a whole other sort of uh, sphere of looking at like here in British Columbia, we've worked hard, hard over the last 70 years to get rid of institutions. DDA was mm -hmm. very instrumental in, in creating community living and getting people back into the community. If, if AI advances that much, I almost see like a step back into an institution in a way where we've got these people housed in this area where that's just covered by AI and nobody else. Yeah. I mean, that's a 
that's sort of a nihilistic way of looking at it. But I mean, to me, the potential's there. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, think you're not alone in uh, that con- that concern. Uh, it's that's often this kind of institutionalized AI uh, robot run uh, care facility is uh, a real kind of dystopian scenario that people have been uh, mm-hmm. warning about, warning others about for you know as long as these robots have been in development. Um, and I think that uh, you know some of that is real. Um, especially with the price tag of a, a lot of this technology, which is not accessible to uh, individuals, families, people living in community, um, but really has to be uh, uh, bought by institutions. Um, but I think there are uh, a couple of things that might actually work in the other direction. Um, and one of those is the you know possibility of AI-driven technology to support people living in community or living independently uh, longer, um, and mm-hmm. and the kind of development of that technology has been focused on aging populations, um, especially as we're, uh, you know, confronting a, a, a real uh, growth of the older population in the U.S. and Canada, as some other countries are already experiencing, and a, a diminishing number of uh, people capable of caring for them. Uh, there are ways that um, building a- AI technology uh, into homes can uh, can support independent living, mm-hmm. um, and that might come in the form of, uh, as you were discussing earlier, you know, some monitoring systems that would detect whether uh, a fall has uh, taken place or whether someone you know hasn't moved in a while, uh, and uh, report that through um, appropriate channels. Um, so I, I think there's potential there, but uh, the biggest question is going to be the price tag. Yeah, and I think you know the one the one thing I, I, I with seniors and people with disabilities or dis- disability community and sort of in general is that is loneliness can be a, a huge factor mm-hmm. in their existence, and it'd be nice to see if AI they maybe they don't need help getting into bed or something like that, but you know having mm-hmm. artificial intelligence around where you can have a conversation might mm-hmm. dispel some of that loneliness in an artificial way, I guess, but it's, you know, in some cases it might be better than nothing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that, that uh, those kinds of uh, empirical studies which are being conducted um, and have been for um, an, a number of years now are really interesting. Um, people, uh, it, it, um, some of these uh, socially assistive robots, companion robots especially, um, even with pretty low levels of artificial intelligence integrated, uh, have been shown to uh, act as kind of conversation pieces in uh, group living environments um, in, in ways that go, ju- go beyond kind of initial novelty phases, uh, but really kind of sparking conversation between people about what this object even is. Is it alive? Uh, I really like it. I don't know why. Uh, that sort of thing. Um, people do form attachments to these robots and uh, you know name them and uh, have conversations with them. And uh, that you know happens both with people uh, who experience cognitive impairments, but also with uh, with people who do not have a cognitive impairment and are uh, very very clear that this is. Uh, you know, this is this is a robot. This is not a living thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
still express uh, affection for it. Uh, and, um, you know, yeah, as you said, there, um, there may be situations where it's better than nothing. Um, mm-hmm. although we certainly shouldn't, uh, lose sight of the social conditions that are leaving us with nothing, uh, if not uh, other than uh, mm-hmm. social robots. Now, this AI is obviously probably, um, creating a whole bunch of new laws that we haven't even thought of. I mean, what if, what if there's, uh, AI is in the caregiving, uh, uh, sector to some level, and there's a mistake, and someone dies. Who gets the blame for that? Yeah, this is a, a huge question, and uh, figuring out how to uh, ensure uh, kind of in the loop uh, in the um, you know still uh, heavily involved in reviewing, assessing, auditing uh, the. Uh, the uh, tasks accomplished by the AI um, in order to have that uh, accountability is absolutely critical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, where there are uh, algorithms being used in hospitals to uh, make decisions about uh, you know, increasing medication, something of that nature. Uh, there, I, there, there's a recent article in the Washington Post, um, I believe, uh, about uh, nurses being human nurses being overridden by uh, artificial intelligence uh, algorithms uh, on clinical decisions like these, hmm. and uh, that you know becoming a serious problem, and and so figuring out how we have these checks built into our AI systems that are going to um, allow humans to assess what they're doing and uh, are going to provide enough transparency for, uh, for that kind of uh, you know, detailed human assessment um, is going to be crucial if we're going to use, uh, use AI in the care sector um, in these ways. Now that, to me, comes down to the, you know, the crucial human need for trust. Um, mm-hmm. Like... It's such an important aspect for our lives and every and almost everything we do. You know, we look look at you know uh, technology in cars these days. Um, there's, you know, semi-autonomous driving, or some some cars, uh, you know, are claiming that they can drive by themselves. But it's still such a difficult thing for humans to actually let go of the wheel, and mm-hmm. let something else control it. Even though statistically, it might be better for say fatalities on the road. And um, and so in in care, I, I think that would be the same thing. Like how do how do how do we as humans let go of that? I mean, not let go of trust, but trust something else that isn't human, even though it might actually make a better decision. Yeah, and I guess I I think that uh, for the development of you know. We can't just increase trust without in- increasing trustworthiness in mm-hmm. the uh, you know parties that we're trying to trust, right? So we need to make sure that AI is actually trustworthy, uh, that uh, we know its capabilities and uh, they're consistent and uh, they're uh, they're consistent, they're transparent. And um, we know what to expect from them. Um, obviously, trust isn't 
uh, trust requires something of a leap of faith and of going beyond what you explicitly know and uh, can control. Uh, but uh, there are, I think, both technical uh, forms of technical development um, and uh, development of human systems of accountability uh, that will be uh, necessary to have uh, AI that is trustworthy. And so before we can talk about how to increase human trust in AI, we need to focus on making AI trustworthy. Yeah, exactly. Now, and that also, you know, covers this 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 idea, not even an idea, this this fact that AI as like chat GPT, for example, has sometimes made things up. I've, I've read stories yeah. where, where lawyers have 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 tried to drop um, uh, cases and, and the the chat GPT or, or one of them. I'm not sure if it was chat GPT actually made up cases to, to back up their argument and they were disbarred by using that. So we it's you know, if it makes something up, but we still need to make sure there's some sort of fail safe that that's not going to happen, particularly in the care or even the medical field. That seems like vitally important. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there, so uh, again, we have to make sure that there are places for humans to be uh, tracking and auditing uh, what an AI system is doing and uh, capable of catching these hallucinations, as they're called. Your, all of your education and, and expertise is in... in uh, largely in, in ethics. Are we going down the right path when it comes to caregiving? Um, I, uh, I'm not confident that we are, um, especially uh, if we're uh, focused on uh, developing caregiving technology that is going to save and make money um, rather than uh, thinking about how we're going to ease the burden on the really disenfranchised people who are both doing the direct giving of care and the direct receiving of care. Uh, so I think that, you know, a, a first step uh, is the uh, meaningful integration of uh, direct care workers and people uh, receiving care, especially uh, disabled people, especially older people, uh, into the development and implementation processes uh, of AI-driven technologies in this sector. So ultimately, I guess, the ideal thing, unless AI was an absolute perfect thing and, yet, and had, you know, autonomous robots to do things, that, that a hybrid model is still really the only best model in a sense. Uh, yes. Uh, a way of combining uh, uh, AI-driven systems with uh, human expertise, uh, human connection, and uh, human uh, accountability processes. Um, so there, where would people prefer to receive AI care as opposed to human care and vice versa? Yeah, so, um, you know, because caregiving is caregiving in the experience of dependency, interdependency is so stigmatized in, uh, you know, a lot of uh, 
North American culture, especially, uh, there are a lot of people who say that, you know, they actually would prefer uh, a robot or uh, an AI-driven operating system to respond to them in states of need than another human. So this might especially occur with intimate uh, tasks of mm-hmm. bathing, toileting, the like, um, but it also might occur in um, moments of emotional vulnerability uh, where uh, where a person is, uh, you know, disclosing their own uh, emotional, uh, psychological difficulties and uh, has uh, feelings of either uh, shame in showing that to some uh, to another human being, mm-hmm. uh, or uh, a, an increased feeling of dignity in uh, having some kind of distance from the uh, the the person or object providing for that need. And so this has come up. Um, both uh, in disabled communities uh, and uh, also uh, in um, uh, service members, uh, people in uh, the military uh, who have had uh, more difficulty uh, opening up to, uh, say, a a human uh, therapist in the room than a distant uh, technology-driven uh, therapy uh, chat bot. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. And so there, there are both uh, kind of situational and cultural differences around when we feel comfortable receiving care. Um, mm-hmm. And in in those cases, some people do seem to prefer. Uh, assistive technology instead of humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are also questions about how how people socialize and what how people get their social needs met, and that may not be the same for everyone. Absolutely, so, yeah. Uh, there are uh, uh, socially assistive robots that have been designed and tested, um, especially for children on the autism spectrum, and uh, mm-hmm. there's been some significant success there. Uh, with uh, these uh, child users uh, feeling um, much more socially engaged by this technology mm-hmm. um, than they are able to uh, find, at, at least with their peers at a given age, or some, some peers at a given age. So I think that there are you know, non-trivial uh, connections that, uh, that AI systems can make possible. Uh, and again, it's going to be about... Uh, which of these uh, connections are made possible for people, you know, which ones are developed by companies and uh, which ones are uh, affordable and accessible and uh, who's involved in the design and implementation process. But there are some, there are some potential uh, ways that, uh, that uh, AI driven technology might be preferable. 
to a human for some people. Yeah, that's very interesting. So it looks like the future, uh, I don't know if it's bright or dark, but it's definitely interesting <laughs> as we move forward and into the care field and, and AI in general. Well, you have been listening to a DDA Encouraging Abilities podcast. My guest today has been Mercer Gary, postdoctoral fellow at the Hastings Center and assistant professor of philosophy at Drexel University in Pennsylvania. When talking about the future of caregiving uh, through the potential use of artificial intelligence, it's a fascinating discussion, certainly something to keep our eyes on. Mercer, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening.